Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 199 of the podcast for May 23rd, 2014. Joining me today is Jeff Gotthelf, and he's going to be talking about Lean UX or the Lean User Experience, which is a key method for software development usually used in conjunction with Lean startup business practices and other methods. Uh, he's the author of the book Lean UX, Applying Lean Principles to Improve User Experience, and he's Managing Director at NEO, the global product innovation company. And we're also talking today because Jeff is teaching a workshop in Austin on June 10th called Lean UX Bootcamp, Agility Through Cross-Functional Collaboration. He's doing that uh, in association with AgileVelocity.com. You can find more information about the workshop there, or you can find a link um, to, to that page and other stuff about Jeff at leanblog.org slash 199. So you know, even if you are just a user of software, uh, I think you'll enjoy hearing Jeff talk about, I think, very common um, and, and known and proven and familiar lean principles. Uh, and if you are in the software space or if you're a designer learning about UX, I hope this is um, a useful introduction. I hope you'll check out all the other podcasts, 198 previous episodes at leancast.org. Well, Jeff, hey, thanks for being a guest here on the podcast today. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. So, you know, we've talked about lean startup principles with different guests. This will be our first time, you know, getting into this lean UX topic. Um, so, you know, if you can, Jeff, maybe just to, to kick things off, Maybe first talk just briefly about the role of a designer uh, for listeners who might not be familiar with that, and then maybe we can transition into talking about um, what Lean UX is all about. Uh, sure, and, and I'm grateful that that uh, I'm assuming that the bulk of the people listening to this are probably not designers, and uh, which is good because the, the definition of design and what makes up a designer is one of those things that keeps the the designer world spinning endlessly. So. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good assumption. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm happy because of any, anything I say can and will be used against me in the court of Twitter. <laughs> in here, um, but uh, so, so look, designers. I think I think where design is today um, is a, a, a drastically different place where it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago. But so designers today are problem solvers uh, in many ways. They are the people who synthesize, they sit at the nexus of customer needs, business needs, technical needs and technical feasibility, uh, content constraints and all of these things and they help synthesize a, um, a, a workflow, a logic and, and an aesthetic that supports the task at hand. And so what I mean by that is we, we, we make things easier to use, we make things delightful to use, we get users to their end goals as efficiently as possible, and we try to enhance both the, uh, the business goals of, of our company as well as uh, you know, the, the brand values of the company. So for example, if a company is associated with uh, high-tech efficiency and quality, that should be reflected in the experience of using their products. If a company is associated with fun and excitement, uh, that should be reflected in the experience of using their products and services as well. So those are all the different things that we juggle and, and, 
you know, most of all, I think bringing the the voice of the customer and and customer advocacy into the process. Right. So even you know, so far before we get into lean UX, I, I think you're, you're speaking the language of lean practitioners when you talk about being a problem solver, making things easier, uh, reducing waste. I think we'll talk about that more later. But a designer, um, let's say in the context of of, of software or a, a website or web-based software, um, the designer is looking at the, the interface, the look and feel, how, how it works, not the programming. You're working in partnership with programmers and developers, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so it's about you know, layout, content, uh, flow, logic, um, uh, ease of use, look and feel, definitely mm-hmm. all those things. Yeah, and that and that's really important. I'm sure all of us have struggled with, you know, I don't know, a bank website or an airline website. It works. It probably met some sort of spec that was drawn up, but it's, you know, it's clunky or it's confusing or it's not a delight. That's probably where a, a big part of the opportunity for lean UX would come into play, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get into these situations where uh, you're trying to transact with a system some way or another, and uh, there are so many of these, you, you see these, at least I see these all the time, uh, where all, all people are just complaining in social media and in other outlets where all I'm trying to do is give you money. You know? <laughs> Don't and, make and, that hard. <laughs> yeah, and companies just get in their own way, and when, when customers are simply trying to do the things that you want us to do, and so that's where design really comes in, is to make sure that people can can transact as efficiently as possible. Yeah, and and companies in the physical world sometimes make it way too difficult for you to give them money uh, <laughs> as well. But absolutely, you know. Um, so so what what is lean UX? If you could define that and kind of give people an introduction of what some of the the key principles are. Absolutely. So uh, so I've I've been working um, in software for the last fifteen years, and for the first two thirds of that of that career, I spent an inordinate amount of time writing specification documents, um, thick design requirement documents that uh, laid out every pixel, every word, every interaction, uh, corner radius, uh, gradients, you name it, uh, laying all of that out in the hopes that on a good day, 50% of that would get implemented at the end of the day. And uh, you know, ten years into my career, uh, started looking around and, and figuring out, uh, thinking to myself that there had to be more to, to design. We just couldn't be in the in the documentation business. That's not what, that's not what I wanted to do, and it's not what I felt I was good at. Uh, what I felt I was good at, and what I think most designers are good at, again, is, is solving problems. And um, that was really, you know, the agile movement was really taking flight right around then as well and that got us thinking differently about the way that we were uh, engineering products and um, in an effort in an effort to to bridge uh, to, to kind of figure out how to be a more effective designer a designer that actually designed great things as opposed to wrote specifications about things that never got implemented mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and to um, empower agile engineering teams to 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 you know, iterate on these better designs, uh, there had to be a different way that we did design. And that's kind of what, what drove me to figure out 
a better way of doing design. I was tasked with building a design and UX user experience practice at, at a company where I just started and the engineering organization there was transitioning into more of an agile organization. And so I had a real opportunity to start from scratch to build a team, a culture, and a process that would maximize all of these things and would build better uh, better products in the end. And so the lean aspect of it you know, really appealed to me, like thinking about it from from traditional lean, but also lean startup was starting to become a bit more of a of a of a thing at that point, and design thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured there had to be a better way where I, I didn't I didn't have to create all of this documentation, and um, and still get better products launched. And so lean UX is focused on, and it was focused on initially on taking a a heavy design process that was lengthy as well um, and uh, taking out all the waste out of it and and waste for me if I wrote if I wrote a hundred page spec and half of it got implemented then 50 of those pages were waste how do I reduce that out of the process how do I not waste my time and and the answer was obvious was was we had to open up the design process to the other people who were participating in the creation of these products and services. Um, and, and, and that's a big, big shift for designers and, and certainly was you know, five, six years ago um, because we identified as designers and we had a design phase and that was our time to do the thing that, we were, that made us you know, unique, special snowflakes <laughs> in the software creation process. Um, and so by opening up the, the design process, all of a sudden we're having a conversation with everybody else who's involved in making the product. And so we're injecting feasibility, uh, technical constraints, product constraints, business constraints into the design process at, from the beginning. And we were pushing our designers to start showing work that in the past they would have considered unfinished. And to start to gain feedback from their their colleagues initially on all of these different dimensions. Right. In addition to that, we've started opening the the design process to customers much sooner than we would have in the past. In the past, we would have designed and probably built everything and then shown it to customers. They would have given us some feedback about how terrible it was. And then we would have been like, okay, we'll fix that in phase two. And then it would never be a phase two. Or, right. or argue with them and say, no, it's not terrible. Right. You're, you're, yeah, your customer, you're wrong. Right. And so instead, instead of doing that, we bring them into the process at the same time that we're bringing our internal colleagues as well. And so we're getting internal feedback on feasibility and technical constraints and, and business needs. And then we're getting market validation on these early concepts to say this is a good direction or this is a bad direction. And, it, 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 and if you kind of roll all this back up, what, what we're actually changing is the mindset that says instead of we know this to be true, we're, we're, we're switching this to a more of a hypothesis statement that says we believe this is the best approach to solve this business problem. Yeah. And the sooner that we can find out that it is or it isn't and that it's technically feasible, the sooner we can spend time improving it or not working on it at all anymore if it's the wrong thing. And so Lean UX is focused on design as hypothesis, a a collaborative design process both with internal teams 
and with customers, and it's focused on removing un, uh, all the waste out of the traditional uh, user experience and design processes. Now, the interesting part is that you can't, we can't do this alone. So, yes, it's called Lean UX, and the book that I wrote has two giant letters, U and X, right on the cover. But this is a cross-functional collaborative process. We have to have engineers in there. We have to have product managers in there, subject matter experts, QA, whoever else is a part of the software, the product creation process. They need to participate in this so that we can build a shared understanding of what we're designing and how it's supposed to work. And the amazing thing that comes from that is that those people can now do their jobs significantly sooner than they could have in the past because they're part of the conversation as well up front. Right. Well, and, you know, there, there seems such common themes between the lean startup, the, the idea of we've, we've got hypotheses where um, not just understanding our customers in theory, we're, we're interacting with them and getting out of the office and um, going through those, those iterative um, cycles. And instead of designing it to be perfect from the beginning, we'll, we'll make it better as we go. And I'll tell you, even from back in my manufacturing days, there are parallels. There used to be you know, a product design phase, and then it would be thrown over the wall to us manufacturing people, say, well, okay, well, go figure that out. And you, you're, good yeah. luck, try to build this. And sure. that's where you get things like the Pontiac Aztec, which oh, supposedly, when that was originally designed, was not such a hideous looking vehicle in most people's opinions. But all sorts of compromises had to be made in the process of getting something that was actually manufacturable, <laughs> parts that could be stamped at, at, at feasible angles. And, you know, so in the manufacturing world, we have what people have called, you know, integrated pro product and process development. In, in healthcare, you have a trend. This is why I, t I, I talked about this at Lean Startup Conference two years ago of um, this, this iterative um, hospital design process where you have kind of the equivalent of designers and you've got designers and architects and hospital people and process people and the construction folks working in this very highly iterative way of, of actually bringing in customers and saying, hey, here's a mock-up of uh, what the exam room would be like. How do you how do you feel about that? And it's just re it's really interesting for me to see, you know, these common themes. And that's where I think, I mean, yeah, the, the, the title Lean, I think, is very legitimately, um, legitimately applied to Lean Startup and, and Lean UX, that, that same DNA. Um, seems to be there and uh, what this methodology is all about. I totally agree. You know, you know what's really interesting is uh, when Lean Startup, uh, the book came out and, and Eric, uh, Eric Reese was out, you know, making the rounds, um, a lot of us read it and, and you saw, you felt, I felt it certainly and I certainly saw it, there was a lot of frustration and, and even anger to some extent from the, the, Kind of the more the more senior uh, user experience and design community, because there are many concepts in lean startup that come directly from usability, HCI, human computer interaction, right? The traditional schools of of design and and uh, and user experience and, and interaction design. And what's interesting is that Eric simply uh, used different language. And he, he, he got mainstream success, you know, for example, getting out of the building, you know, doing customer research, you know, human-computer interaction and usability folks have been doing that for 30 or 40 years. It's not, it's not a novel or new concept, but 
they always presented it as this scientific exercise that could only be done by professionals and that could only be, you know, there was certain language uh, language sets and vocabularies that were used alongside that. And so it, it, it was very difficult to sell it as a mainstream process, whereas Eric took it, pulled out the, the core value, used business language, and said, hey, everybody can do this. And this is the great value that it brings. And yeah. so that's why there's so much – that's why you're seeing so much correlation between these things because they're highly related. They, they, they come from the same places. Yeah, and I mean you know, the, the little bit I know about um, design thinking as I've learned about that, I think, well, boy, this sounds like uh, lean concepts kind of from know, some different, different origin and different um, kind of you know, development path but you know this this idea of going out and studying your customers well toyota's done that for decades they call it genshi genbutsu go and see you know live in the life of your customers and um you know i think at some point whatever the label this good thinking this good process is uh, just is it's good thinking so but i'm curious to ask one other question uh about lean you know more broadly i'm, I'm curious your thoughts of you know do, does any do any of the toyota stories or any of the, the background about lean manufacturing is that seem at all relevant does any of that resonate with you or it's just you know you're doing these you know same thinking in, in different industries so the whole manufacturing stuff just doesn't matter i'm curious your thoughts there yeah so so i think that there look obviously there's a, the foundational ideas are the same the two things that i take the, the the two biggest things that i take away from from toyota's version of lean um and that i that i teach uh the people who attend my workshops and so forth is uh, that we're all, you know two things is we're always moving from doubt to certainty, and we do so by working in small batches. Those are two key principles that I think are transformational if they're adopted by uh, digital product teams because buried not so deeply in the in the first one right. Uh, we're always moving from doubt to certainty is 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 an implicit admission of humility i don't know what the future looks like i don't have all the answers and that right there is a is a fundamental shift in the way that much design has been done to date and certainly the way that we approach software software products um that we have approached them in the past and so if we can get that mindset shift to happen then it, it, it makes sense to take small steps because if we take big ones, we're biting off a lot of risk that could simply, uh, you know, blow up in our face. And so yeah. those are really the two, the two biggest uh, takeaways for me that, that I impress on my students and, and, and the folks that, that, that I work with. Yeah, because I mean, when I, I spend a lot of time helping translate things across industries from manufacturing into healthcare. And, you know, you know people throw out terms, you know, say, well, you know, we, we can't have a quote unquote. Uh, assembly line medicine. We can't have assembly line medicine. Well, I mean, that is not, you know, we're, we're not making a literal translation. Like you said, it's um, it's conceptual. There, there's one other uh, book that you know comes from Toyota folks, or at least, you know, a professor who's who studied them uh, called the Toyota Kata, which is this kind of, you know, uh, this this routine for for working through a problem and working through an improvement. And one of the things Mike Rother, the author, author of that book you know, says in chapter one, I think, you know, he says, you know, too many organizations want some sort of, you know, perfect five year step by step roadmap 
for how we're going to get lean. And, and to me, that sounds like the, uh, the specification document that you're talking about in the Lean UX world. We, we can't possibly write this crystal ball, perfectly planned five-year plan. Mike Rother talks about the fog. Like, well, we know we're here. We know we want to get to there. We need to take some steps forward into the fog and we're going to figure it out yes. as we go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's look, and that's very, very uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially in software, um, you know, because there's an expectation. You know, software both in-house, right? I'm, I'm the manager or I'm the CEO. Tell me when I'll get my feature. Or even in consulting, right? Hey, I'm going to pay you $100,000. What am I getting? You know, and, and that's those are difficult questions to answer because of the fog. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that... that desire for certainty is understandable and and boy um i guess the the ability to to iterate um i guess you know that that sometimes has to be demonstrated over time so maybe maybe on that thought i mean what what are you know how would you describe if somebody was really skeptical about lean ux as an approach are, are there success stories or i mean like what what's a typical type of case study of, of how you would pitch this to someone in terms of yeah, you know, I mean, at some point they're going to say, "Trust us, let's try this. We'll see if it works." But people always want examples and evidence. How, how would you answer a question like that? So I, th I think it's important to, in order in order to to prove the legitimacy of this approach, we have to we have to take one tiny step back and define success. Because for me to say this was successful means that we share the same definition of success, um, and and. When I talk about this and when I work with teams, uh, we talk about success as achieving an outcome, uh, a business outcome, a customer outcome. We have somehow, and, and in in the you know in most of the, the projects that I work on, that outcome is a measurable change in customer behavior. Right? Why are we building this feature or this widget or this service or this app? Right? Because we want our customers to do something differently. We want them to buy more stuff or to tell their friends or to use the product more than once a month or to, to use it at all or, or whatever it is, right? To upload photos. Uh, who knows, right? Uh, and so we have, to we have to decide that uh, success is not the deployment of the feature, the product, or the service. It's the measurable change in customer behavior. That's our goal. And so if, if, if we look at it that way, and if I can convince the skeptic to look at it that way, then we can look at projects and say, terrific. Well, I worked on, you know, I worked on this particular initiative, and our goal was to increase retention rate of customers by 25%. And so we worked for three months, and we ran these experiments, and we iterated on these designs, and we got to a point where we increased retention by 20%. Right? And then we can debate whether that was a success or a failure and what the company could decide to do next. But we have to have that conversation about what progress is and, and ultimately what success is. Because, again, if, if you're looking at it from folks who are, who are, who are who have the, the, like you, you called it, the, the, uh, the desire for certainty, um, typically that mindset also demands uh, it's, it's a feature-based mentality. When will I get the iPhone app? As opposed to when will I increase mobile commerce by thirty five percent? Well, is is it sort of a blind assumption? Right? I mean, I guess it's a hypothesis. If we the, in the, that old thinking, if we build these ten features, we will be successful. 
as opposed to figuring it out. Yes, exactly. And, and so it, it's turning that conversation on its head and it's saying, what does what being successful mean? Well, if being successful means that, that we increase, uh, you know, successful completions of the shopping cart process by, by 15%, now we have an objective filter by which to measure the success of all of these ideas, mm-hmm. right? And so now let's do the least amount of work possible to find out if we should invest in these ideas. Now, um, it sounds like the, the lean UX approach would kind of make more of a hypothesis that says if we figure out what changes customer behavior, then that will lead to better solving the customer's problems, which then leads to our business, our software, our website being more successful as, an, Actually, as a result? I, I would start with the customer problem first. Because um, I think that's the that's I think that's one of the key differences here is that this is a very user centric approach. Mm-hmm. Is that we want to, we want to understand the customer? Who who do we believe the customer is? Um, what pain points do we believe they have that we can solve? And then that way we can say, okay, terrific. We know that they have this particular need or this this pain point. We think we can solve it this way, and we'll know we're right. When we measure, when we see a significant movement in this type of customer behavior, one one other thing I'd like to talk about a little bit is is the the visual nature, or even you know the the very analog nature of you know a lean UX process for for digital products. And in, in the physical world, you know the idea of doing physical mockups of a, a physical hospital unit. Now, I guess you know even, even though people will do electronic drawings, I mean, you know, I kind of I think it makes sense for people to do that physically and and be able to simulate and experience the space. Um, can you talk about the idea of doing um, you know visual and analog methods for a website? Why why sketches and drawings and things thrown up on the wall um, is is helpful and and how people respond to that? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, it externalizes all the thinking. So instead of instead of hiding ideas and thoughts um, on screens, on monitors, inside people's heads, it gets those ideas out of people's heads very, very quickly, right? Pen and paper is probably the, the fastest way to get an idea out of somebody's head and into a place where other people can see it. So that first and foremost, it's just it just extracts ideas out of people's heads so we can see where everybody stands. Uh, second is that it is super low investment. So we, we, we will write some post-it notes, we'll sketch some ideas, we'll write on the whiteboard or on, or on butcher paper. And then if, if we hate it, <laughs> we tear it up and we do it again. And, and the, the amount of investment that went into that is 15 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever, whatever it is. And so people aren't married to these ideas immediately. And so there's a transient nature to the idea. So, so we all kick around these ideas and sketches. And then we talk to a few customers and we realize that this was a bad idea. Um, there, it's, it's not like we spent two months of work making pixel perfect only to find out that it's a bad idea. Right? And so the, 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 the attachment to the ideas is more transient and it allows us to learn and iterate faster and so those are two of the main uh, the main benefits of it. The third is you know is is that it, it's it, it allows everyone to contribute. And and again, this isn't um, this isn't drawing, right? It's sketching, and everybody can sketch. Drawing is art, 
this is this is sketching. It's circles and squares and triangles and arrows and and that type of thing. And everybody can participate at that level. And so it's it's a very inclusive exercise as well. Yeah, but at, at the same time, I, I saw one of your um, presentations online. Uh, this this is not designed by committee either, right? No, absolutely not. It's 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 an opportunity. It's look. It's 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 a in classic design thinking fashion, it's 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 a it's a one of many divergent and convergent exercises. So we we get this cross functional team together and we challenge them with a problem, and then we let everybody throw out a bunch of ideas, um, and we and we can do that using paper and pen and post-it notes and butcher paper and that type of thing. And then we converge quickly and, and there needs to be some kind of leadership on the team that says, these are all really great ideas. These seem to hold the most promise. We're going to start with these first. And what's interesting is that the, the ideas that don't get picked first aren't thrown away, right? That, that just leaves us with a backlog of untested ideas. So if these first ideas uh, test false, then we've got a backlog of untested ideas we can go back to. Let's see. I'm trying to manage time. Uh, one other question before we, we wrap up and talk about um, – I do want to leave some time for you to talk about the workshop that sure. you're doing in Austin. Um, what, what is the role of, of, a of some form of traditional spec uh, document in this LineUX process? Is it, is it minimal or is it, is it non-existent? Um, I'm curious how that's evolved. So uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily non-existent, and it really varies by team and, and the comfort level and the scope and the size of the team. I, I think that um, my friend and colleague, Lane Halley, she's a coach and a designer out in L.A., uh, she always says, lead with conversation and trail with documentation. And I, I firmly believe that to be true. And what she means by that is is do these collaborative cross-functional exercises, these sketching exercises first, make some decisions and then move forward. And then if you need to document things for whatever reasons, then go, for, then go ahead and document them. But don't hold up the team or the process just to create the documentation. Now, what I found is that as teams become uh, more comfortable with each other, more mature in their process, the, the need for extensive documentation diminishes. But there's always a need for some of it, right? Wireframes, maybe a prototype, uh, some descriptions of a, of, a, of a difficult transition or some data data uh, needs, etc. Um, so I think I think it diminishes significantly, especially over time. But I don't know if it ever goes away completely. Mm -hmm. it seems like the the old thinking hypothesis was perhaps you know the 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 bigger the specification document, the better the document, the more detailed the document means a better product and more business success. And it sounds like lean, lean UX really kind of turns that on its ear um, and, and has proved otherwise, right? Yeah, absolutely. that's exactly right. Well, as, as we wrap up, um, we've got a workshop uh, coming up nearby, nearby, uh, not too far from San Antonio in Austin, obviously the, uh, the tech hotbed, and I'm sure there's a lot of lean UX practitioners or, or students there. Um, talk about the workshop that you're doing uh, on June 10th. Sure. So, yeah. So I'll be I'll be in Austin on June 10th, um, partnering with Agile Velocity, one of the the Agile coaching firms down in Austin. Um, we're doing a full day workshop from nine to five, where we go through a significant amount of the Lean UX process. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's hands on. Um, it's it's typically a room of of cross functional folks. So it'll be product managers, designers, engineers. 
uh, in the room, working together, tackling a business problem, learning how to uh, declare their assumptions, write hypotheses, design experiments, uh, sketch together, collaborate together, and really focus on techniques that, that help them achieve these business outcomes. I teach these classes a lot. They're re they really are a lot of fun. They are hands-on. I don't, I don't talk at you for eight hours. Um, and um, you know, lots of lots of post-it notes, lots of paper, lots of pens, and it, it'll be a lot. It, it really will be a lot of fun um, on June 10th down there in, in Austin. So I'm really looking forward to being there. Yeah, and I'll put a uh, link to the registration page in the show notes, which will be at leanblog.org/slash199. Um, but but uh, what, what's the website? Or I, mean, I guess people can Google it. People are clever. Yeah. But what, what, what's the best way to find out about it? The best way to find it is, is go to agilevelocity.com and they've got a listing of their events and I'm one of their uh, events coming up on June 10th. So agilevelocity.com and then go to their events section and, and you'll see the Lean UX. It's called Lean UX Bootcamp is what, what they're calling it down there. Ah, okay. Well, good. I hope, uh, hope people will check that out. Um, I think I think we've had a successful podcast here without a big, huge, detailed specification document. <laughs> you know, I'd sketched out. Uh, some some questions, but yeah, we don't use all of them. We come up with some other questions. Um, I mean, we have, we had one shot here without iterating and, and trying the podcast five different times. But um, I appreciate you sharing um, uh, your, your thoughts and experiences and exposing us to, to Lean UX, Jeff. And um, really appreciate you having uh, taking the time to be here on the podcast. Do you have any final final thought to uh, leave the listeners with? Um, I, I think I think most importantly, I think it, the role of design the 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 effective design has uh, is, is transformational at this point. I, it's, it's, it, if, if I can leave you with any impression, is is to include design in the process and bring design into the conversation as soon as possible, because that's what's really differentiating successful products these days. So thanks a lot for having me, Mark. This has been a blast. Well, great. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.